So this passage is quite challenging, so we're going to, well, that's not the only reason we're going to pray, but we're going to pray now just uh, to ask God for God's help as we look at it. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. And God, we simply pray now that as uh, we look at it, that Father, you would speak to us. We ask that you would help us to understand it. And more than that, Father, we ask that you would help us to respond in a way which is right. Help us, Father, we pray in your name. Amen. So typically, I'm not great with history, but there's a story about Horatio Nelson, which I think is brilliant. So in the naval battle of Copenhagen, Nelson, who was blind in one eye, led the attack of the British fleet and with the commander, Sir Hyde Parker. And the two men, Nelson and Parker, they had a wee bit of a disagreement over tactics. And at one point, Parker sends Nelson a signal to disengage. He sends out the flags and tells him to retreat. And Nelson sees that there's some sort of signal in the distance. And so he lifts up his telescope. But he doesn't want to retreat. And so what does he do? Well, he lifts his telescope up. But he lifts it up to the blind eye. And so listen to what he says then to his flag captain. He says, you know, Foley, I have only one eye, and I have a right to be blind sometimes. I really do not see the signal. (laughs) He turns a blind eye. It's no accident. This is willful blindness. And this evening, we're going to explore our third encounter with Jesus. And what we're going to dive into is that line that I'm sure we've all sung, or at least heard. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see was blind, but now I see. But how does that happen? And what do people mean whenever they say that their eyes were opened to the Christian message? Well, for those of you here maybe sitting thinking, well, this is all a little bit strange, isn't it? Then I'm going to ask you to take a spiritual eye test with us this evening. And we'll do it through this story of Jesus healing the blind man. We see in verses 1 to 7 that Jesus and his disciples come along this man who's been born blind another total outcast in society. And in fact, what we see is that he's been left as a beggar. And he's not somebody people would really have wanted to come in contact with. He's an outcast. But Jesus steps into this man's life, and look what he does. He spits on the ground, and he makes some mud, and he puts it onto the man's eyes. And then he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam to wash. Look what happens then at the end of verse 7. Follow along with me. So the man went and washed and came home saying. He he does what Jesus tells him and in one of the most amazing miracles, the man is able to see. And what follows the healing of this eyesight is just a range of conversations from people trying to understand what actually happened. Because no one, it seems, is willing to believe the plain fact that this man has actually been healed by Jesus. But this chapter isn't simply about Jesus' amazing power, as remarkable as it is. Look along with me at verse 39. Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. The blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Jesus is teaching that there's a great division in humanity into two groups of people, 
The first one are those who are spiritually blind, but they think they can see. And then the second group are those who were spiritually blind, but Jesus has opened their eyes. And we'll take a look at the first group first. Those who are blind, but think that they can see. What are they blind to? Well, they're blind to, first of all, the truth about themselves. But more clearly, I think we see in the passage that they're blind to the truth about Jesus. And what's ironic in this story is actually that it's everyone except the man who was was born blind who ends up spiritually blind. And in our spiritual eye test this evening, we need to do some diagnostics. Proper doctor terms there, isn't it? What are the symptoms of this spiritual blindness? Well, the first one is that they're skeptical. They're the ones who can't really be bothered going to the opticians. And we see this in the man's neighbors. They're skeptical. Jesus has healed them, and for the very first time, he can see. And so I'm sure when he goes to his hometown, he is absolutely buzzing. He can't wait to tell people. But that's not really their response. Have a look at verse 8. They see him right in front of their eyes, and yet when they ask if it's definitely him, some others say, no, no, he only looks like him. Instead of rejoicing and celebrating with this man, they question and they doubt. And that's exactly how so many react to the good news of Jesus today. They question and they doubt. Yet with even the evidence right under their noses, they don't bother exploring it. They've questions and they've doubts about the most significant events in history. And yet that's exactly where they stop. They stop at their questions and their doubts. They don't bother going to the opticians to explore their problems. And I wonder, is that where you are? This might be true for believers and non-believers. You've loads of questions or you've loads of doubts. But you're just holding them. You're just holding all of these barriers. And they're piling up one after the other until actually you've very little sight of who Jesus is. Or you've very little sight of what life Jesus might have in store for you. The second symptom we see is that they are fearful. These are the people who know that they've got a problem with their sight but they're too afraid to go to the opticians in case they get glasses. And others might think differently of them. They know the reality, but they're fearful. And we see this in the man's parents. The Pharisees have already seen that this man has his sight restored. But they still ask the question to the parents to see if this is really the truth. Maybe it's all just a trick. Maybe something else is actually going on. And so look what they ask in verse 19. They ask the parents three questions. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And then look at the response in verse 20. We know he is our son. That's the first question answered. And we know he was born blind. There's the second question answered. In verse 21. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. I'm pretty sure that their son will have told them everything. But why do they hide it? We find out in the next few verses that it's actually because they're fearful. If they say who it was, if they say that it was Jesus, then the Jewish leaders will put them out of the synagogue. Maybe that doesn't mean a lot for us, but for them, not only did that kick them out of their place of worship, it kicked them out of a whole social community. 
there was a huge cost if they say that it was Jesus. They know the truth, but they're fearful. And what does this really say about what's going on inside? What's going on in their hearts? Well, it says that they're more fearful of men than God. They're more fearful of men than God. More fearful of losing their position into society. More afraid of some of their friendships looking a bit different. Maybe the dad's afraid of what his mates at golf will think. Or what the boys at work will say. The mum's maybe worried about what the, what the women at the school gates will say if she stands for her faith. She's maybe worried that some of her friendships will look a bit different. Do you see how this creeps into our everyday lives? And so they tell the Pharisees to speak to their son. Don't involve us, they say. We just want an easy life. And it's so common. People are unwilling to side with Jesus, not because they think he's untrue, but because they're afraid. The cost is too high. And again and again today, that's why we see so many reject Christ. I chatted a while ago to a girl who's an atheist, and she made sure everybody knew that she was an atheist too. She just hated this person that we called God, and she hated religion, and she made everybody know it. And her family were atheists too, and then it got to a point where she realized, actually, maybe there's something to this Christianity. But at this stage, the cost was too high for her, because everybody knew she was an atheist. And if you are afraid of coming to Christ, this sounds really black and white, but there's something far greater to be afraid of. And it's meeting Jesus on Judgment Day, having rejected him your whole life. Because as a righteous judge, he he will reject you. The last symptom we see in this is that the people are proud. Now, I think we all know some of these people in terms of physical blindness because they're the ones who convince themselves that their eyesight's all right. They can't see two foot in front of them, but no, they don't need to go to the opticians. And here's the big surprise, because who do we see this symptom from? It's the religious, isn't it? They're a bit like the Cristiano Ronaldo's of theology. People see them as elite, and they know it. They're really moral, and people see that, and they're really good at keeping the laws. But of all the people, they're the most spiritually blind of all. Look at the man's surprise in verse 30. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. This man, Jesus, has proved he's from God. The logic's there, the evidence is overwhelming, but they refuse to see. In fact, just like Nelson, they didn't want to see. They were holding the telescope open, like up to their blind eye. They didn't want to see because that would mean admitting that Jesus was king and that he was Lord over their lives. And they were too proud to do that. They thought they'd just try to sort it themselves. They'd they'd keep the laws and that would do, do them. They won't go to the opticians because they're too proud. And they don't even see their own problem because of that. Most people refuse to accept Christianity not because of lack of evidence but because of the nature of their blindness. It's blindness that will not see. I wonder, is that where your stumbling block is with Jesus? You don't want to believe. It means handing the control over to him of our lives. It means putting down our self-righteous efforts and asking him to be 
our righteousness. But we feel like we've to earn everything, don't we? So it doesn't really sit right with us. It doesn't sit right with our pride that it's only in Jesus that we can have salvation. And C.S. Lewis says that it's this symptom, pride, which is the root of all sin. And sin is exactly the problem that we can't solve. Now, if you're already a believer, I don't want you freaking out, especially after this morning's sermon. <laughs> a bit challenging. Thinking sometimes I have doubts or thinking maybe I'm not really that bold. Does that mean that I'm not a Christian? And absolutely not. I really do not want you leaving thinking that. We'll always struggle with different things this side of eternity, but the difference is whether or not that you trust that Jesus will forgive you for all your sins. And as a result, that you would follow him. Because it's those people who are in the second group that I mentioned earlier. Those who were blind, but Jesus opened their blind eyes. Those who were blind, but Jesus has opened their blind eyes. See, the story begins in verse 1 with a pretty sad sight, doesn't it? The man born blind. But then Jesus comes. There is the hope of this passage. It's this but God moment. Because Jesus gives this man his sight. But that's not actually the greatest miracle in this chapter. I did a bit of research because I did wonder what somebody could see who's born blind, as silly as that sounds. Because I wondered, is it all just a big blur, or do they just see black? And apparently it's neither. So you might hate this, but I'm going to ask you to do a bit of audience participation, okay? So if you can close one eye, okay, and then focus on a word on the screen, okay? What do you see with the other eye? You see nothing, don't you? It's not even black. And the article also said to imagine what you can see with your elbow, but I think we get the point. (laughs) So when Jesus opens the eyes of this blind man, imagine the joy, imagine the revelation, this life just beyond what he knew before. And if we get a picture of that, then I think we get just a glimpse of what happens to him spiritually as we go on. Because the biggest miracle in this isn't him receiving his sight. It's him receiving Jesus. His eyes are open spiritually. But what are the signs of that clear spiritual sight? What can life look like when Jesus opens our eyes? Well, first of all, we can trust Jesus in difficulty. Look at how the man born blind takes Jesus at his word right from the start. Look at verse 11. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. So he's got this mud slapped on his eyes and as strange as these instructions are, he trusts. He just does what he's told. And sure enough, he does come back seeing. Didn't need to have all the knowledge first before he could do it. He just sees enough in Jesus to trust. And I think so often we can get caught up in making sure that we know every detail before we step into obeying Jesus. But that's clearly not the case here. We feel like we need to know the whole Bible maybe before we can actually share something of it with somebody else. Or we feel like when we've gone through some difficulties that we need to get our life together first and then we can pray. Or then we can come to Jesus. Or then we can take communion as believers. But God doesn't require a perfect lifestyle or a theological degree. He requires that you love and that you trust in the work of his son. 
You can trust Jesus in difficulty. Look at the shallowness of his understanding at this stage in verse 11. What does he say about Jesus? He's simply a man they call Jesus, and yet he trusts his word. In all the difficulties of understanding, in all the difficulties of the circumstances he's in, he trusts. He trusts Jesus in the difficulty. And the next sign that we have clear spiritual sight is that we can stand for Jesus in adversity. Have you ever got a pick and mix? Because I think that's what this man's character is a wee bit like. You've got a whole range of stuff, but it's all of your favorites, really, isn't it? You can't help but love him, really. And what I really love is that he has a backbone for Jesus. He really does. He absolutely refuses to deny what the truth is. In the first interrogation by the Pharisees, look what he sees Jesus as now in verse 17. Verse 17, Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So this is in the face of some of the most intimidating people that he could find. And yet he's moved on and is thinking from just Jesus being a man they call Jesus to now being a prophet. And look at his answer in verse 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One of my favorite verses, one of the simplest testimonies, and yet look how powerful that stands. He doesn't fully understand it, but he has a story to share. And so do many of you tonight. I wonder if we were faced with what he is, would we know what to say? Never mind the opposition that he's facing. If I said that you had two minutes to share your testimony, I wonder would you be able to do it? I think this is something very practical that we could go away with and think about because 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready. It's a little bit daunting if we're not prepared, I'll give you that. But we do have a hope that we need to share. And I'd really encourage you to go away and think about that. Think about how you can articulate it, maybe even write it down actually because it's a hope that I'd love everyone to see as they come into conversations with us, as they chat with us, that they could see where our hope comes from. And finally, look what the man says when he's got everything to lose, when he could be punished by the leaders, kicked out of the synagogue, rejected by the whole community. Look what he says in verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. His attitude is that, you know what? This truth, this Jesus, he's worth standing for. He stands for Jesus in adversity. And you know the girl that I was chatting to that I mentioned earlier, the atheist, whose parents were atheists, and who made herself known to everyone that she hated God and she hated religion. She did exactly what this man did. She stood for Jesus in adversity. And it was an absolute joy to come alongside her in that because when she accepted Christ, I have never seen a joy in her the same as whenever she did that. We can stand for Jesus in adversity. And the last sign here of spiritual sight is that he worships Jesus in humility. Think of where this man came from at the start. He was physically blind. He was spiritually blind. And yet look what happens in verse 35 to 38. 
Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Can you see what's happened? Yes, he was given his sight, but he's also been given spiritual sight. Jesus, the one who said that he was the light of the world, pursued his salvation. And he's brought this man out of darkness. And when the man accepts him, when he trusts that Jesus is God, he can't help but worship Jesus in humility. He knows that he is not worthy of such a salvation. And this is where spiritual sight leads us to. It always leads us to this place where we want to praise and we want to worship him in all that we do. And it's not too late to receive that sight that Jesus offers. And I want you to think this evening about how clear your spiritual eyesight is. It's challenging. Believer or not, I wonder, do you find yourself like the one who can't be bothered going to the opticians? You have loads of questions, you have loads of doubts, but actually you haven't explored them yet. Or maybe you're like the fearful parents. Maybe you can relate that you fear others more than you fear God. That you couldn't become a Christian or that you couldn't share your faith with others because you're afraid of what others think. We don't have to have it all together before we can do that in either situation. What we see from this man is that he trusts and then he gets spiritual eyesight. His sight becomes clear of Jesus. He doesn't wait for it to happen the other way around where he has to have spiritual eyesight first and then he trusts. It's the other way around. And maybe the comfort that you need this evening is that of Joshua 1.9. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But maybe you're like the religious. Maybe you don't really want to see who Jesus is. Or maybe actually what you want to turn a blind eye to is some of Jesus' teachings. We don't want to let go of our own way. But he's the only one who can give us spiritual eyesight. The only one who can save us. And my prayer for us all here in Ravenhill this evening is that we would worship him for that. As you follow Jesus, this man shows us that you can trust him in the difficulty, that you can stand for him in adversity, and that you can worship him in humility. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you challenge us with your word. We thank you that it is living and active, and we pray that as we think these through, that, God, you would continue to challenge us throughout this week. God, would we come to know you as our Savior? And knowing you as our Savior, Father, we trust that you will help us uh, to respond in a way that this blind man did. That we would trust you in difficulty. That we would stand for you in the midst of all the opposition. And that we would worship you in humility. And Father, in any of those areas where we struggle, we trust that it is only by your Holy Spirit that you can help us to do those. Help us, Father, we pray, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for 
your word. We thank you for each and every person who's gathered here this evening. Challenge us and help us to be an encouragement to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.